All right, yeah, hope to have you back. Um, Peace of Mind series starting next week. Uh, we're going to do some debunking of myths. We're going to um, just talk about the, the seriousness of something that, like most of us know about. We've either have dealt with, um, you know, struggling for the battle for our mind, for uh, mental health, or we've known somebody who's done it or who's had that same struggle and we've walked with them in it. And there's a lot of questions around it. And so we are going to uh, spend four weeks um, just kind of trying to knock down some of our wrong thinking and um, give us some of our right thinking about how God has uh, created us as whole people, mind, body, and spirit to be at peace with him. And so I uh, invite you back next week. Now, uh, well, happy Easter. Yeah. Uh, so glad to have you here and celebrate with us. And um, we're going to start off this celebration in the teaching by going back 2,000 years ago to the morning of Easter. And I don't know how your morning was this morning. You know, if you have a bunch of kids, it's like, okay, get psyched up. We got a big challenge, you know. It's like, get some food in them, get something on that looks, you know, halfway decent, and I can go in public with them, and then get them here in the ballpark of on time. And so if, if you have you know, young kids, um, I just want to say, well done. You know, yet another miracle that's happened on Easter morning. So, um, now if you go back 2,000 years ago to that first Easter morning, um, those who were followers of Jesus woke up that morning without Jesus. They, they were believing in him, and yet they woke up with questions because two days before he had died and they put him in a tomb and they went home. And they had questions like, uh, did I just waste a couple years of my life? Have I believing a total worldview that is wrong, that, that is not right? I mean, he claimed to be the son of God, and yet he couldn't keep himself alive. And so they had lots of questions. And so that morning, they woke up with those questions, and they thought, you know, dead people stay dead until they didn't. And that morning, Easter morning, he rose from the dead. And uh, what, what started a movement was not his great teaching. These people were following him not because he was a great teacher, even though he was a great teacher. But why they were following him was because of the things that he was saying about himself, which is actually the reason why the Jewish religious um, leaders wanted him dead because he was saying things that were blasphemous. He was saying things like this, um, I forgive you of your sins. Who can do that? Who can do that? Well, God can do that. He said things like, before Abraham and Moses and the prophets, I am. I am Yahweh. That, that's the name that God has given himself. He was saying, I am God and I have taken on the flesh, the humanity, because I've come to give you hope. And yet, followers of Jesus bought into him and then he died. And then they chose to believe him because he rose from the dead. And that event, that first Easter morning, was the event that started of movement. And it's a movement that, that began from people who had heard Jesus, who had listened to his teachings, who had listened to his claims, who were distraught because he died and their belief was shattered and then he rose from the dead and they saw him again. 
and they again were taught by him and they spent time with him and they ate with him and had a cup of coffee with him. And, and, uh, and then he, Jesus himself, as well as them, began spreading the news that Jesus, the one who claimed to be God, died and rose again. And so they went and they started spreading it in the marketplace and out in the fields and um, on the trade routes. And, and then they started writing about him. And a movement began out of those people who knew they rose from the dead. And they made a decision. He is who he said he is. And that's a decision that all of us have. And I'm going to ask you about that decision in a few minutes. Now, the question, one of the questions that jumps out to me about this is um, if Jesus was God, if Jesus really was who he said he was, then why did he allow himself to be killed? I mean, if he's God in the flesh, he could have called down, you know, the angels and spiritual power, and he could have just wiped out everybody who stood in opposition to him. So why did he allow himself to die and then rise from the dead? What, what, is, what is with that? And so to answer that question, we're going to go back three years from Jesus' resurrection. We're going to go back and take a little snapshot of his time on earth where he's gathering people and he's teaching and he's starting to get a following. And so we're looking at Mark chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. And it says this. He went out again beside the sea. That's the Sea of Galilee. That's in northern Israel today. Um, it was in the region of Galilee. And uh, so he was teaching up there, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And, and as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he, Levi, rose and followed him. Now Levi, um, that's his Jewish name, his Hebrew name, his Roman name, was, somebody, was a name that you were probably more familiar with. Is, he was is Matthew, Levi, Jewish name, Matthew, Roman name. The Matthew in the Bible who actually wrote the book of Matthew, was, which was a, a, a biography on the life of Jesus. So it says Jesus walked by and he said, hey, follow me. And um, that's not really too shocking to us because that's what Jesus was doing. He was, he was collecting followers. And yet it was shocking at the time because they knew who Levi was. Levi was a tax gatherer, and uh, tax gatherers were not well-liked people. In fact, I, I don't think you could have found somebody in Capernaum, in Galilee, that was more um, reviled than Levi. And let me tell you why. Okay, he's a tax gatherer. Big deal. Worked for the IRS. Okay. Yeah, you know, we, we can kind of, you know, it's like they're okay until they audit me. Then I don't like them either. But it was a completely different game. Um, now, modern-day Israel and uh, Palestine, that's the area that we're talking about. That's where Jesus lived and ministered. And um, they were, at the time, under Roman occupation. The Roman Empire had expanded around the Mediterranean Sea into modern-day Turkey, down um, into Asia, and across into the Middle East. And so uh, they, they were ruling all. And how they would fund this is by taxing the conquered lands. And so they would go to a place like Galilee and say, okay, this, you know, in, in this county there's so many people. This is kind of the cost of living here. Therefore, in our calculations, we should be able to collect X amount of money 
to fund the Roman Empire. In fact, they taxed so hard that um, if you were a Roman citizen, you no longer had to pay taxes. The entire infrastructure of the Roman Empire was built on the tax money of the conquered peoples. And so like today, you go to Europe and you, and you see part of the Roman Empire and you still see aqueducts that were amazing, that, were, that would carry water to, to, diff, to distant cities. And you can still see those standing today. You can see uh, the Roman ro- roads that were built, that were trade routes, and so that trade could happen all over the Roman Empire. All of that um, through the funding of taxpayers. And so they would say, Galilee needs to raise this amount of money. And so we're putting it out to bid. So we're going to hire a Jew who lives in Galilee to be the tax man. And so we're putting it out to bid. And we think we should get at least this much money in taxes out of this area. And so people would come and they would say, I I think I can do that job. And I think I could raise your level of taxing to this amount. And I can get that for you. And the highest bidder would get the job. And the highest bidder would instantly become hated. He would be be disassociated from from his nation, from his family and friends, would turn away from him because you are now supporting the enemy and you are now bringing the enemy's oppression on us in a new way and you even upped the amount of taxes that is going to be taken out of my check because you got the job. So they would be friendless, but they would be rich. Because Roman Empire would say, hey, any money above the money you've promised, you can keep. And so they would extort more. And it was just, it was just the, the person that um, was the most hated person in the community. Everybody knew him because everybody had to deal with him. And nobody liked him. And so that was Levi. And so he said, uh, Jesus looked at Levi and said, hey, um, you want in? Because I want you, and so follow me. And they had to be saying, you know, what what are you doing, Jesus? How far does this forgiveness thing go? This is ridiculous. But here's one of the points that I I read that I think, okay, was on, on Jesus' heart. When Jesus says, follow me, Jesus sees hope in us and in others when we don't, when we don't. A, Roman, or a, a Jewish rabbi, when he would go to somebody and say, I want you to follow me, what he was doing is saying, hey, I've seen you, I know you, and I think you have the stuff to be like me. And so I choose you as one of my students, follow me. Everybody would have known that. Levi would have known that. And so it was Jesus, who was known as a rabbi, came to him in the tax booth. Well, first of all, he's walking up to him, and, and his disciples had to be thinking, oh, this is going to be good. I, my, I think he's probably going to right here and now just condemn him to hell and just say, I just hope you're miserable, miserable and burn. Or, you know, the guy that I healed yesterday, the guy with leprosy, you know, I, I took that off of him, and now I'm throwing it onto you, Levi. And so tax that. <laughs> you know, I, mean, I, I know the disciples' minds had to be going crazy. And so then when he comes up to Levi and says, I choose you, follow me. They had to be going, what in the world 
is going on. Why is this happening? Verse 15. And as he reclined, he, Jesus, as Jesus reclined at the table in his house. Whose house? Not Jesus' house. Levi's house. Not only does he say, follow me, but hey, I'm going to hang out with you. Many tax gatherers, more of them, and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And there were many who followed him. Many who followed him. Now, I'm, I'm thinking that the, the disciples of Jesus were quiet. They were uncomfortable. They're saying, Jesus, um, I have a hard time feeding my kids. And it's primarily due to that guy right there. You know, our family business is about going under. I can't even afford medicine for the help of my family, the health of my family. And we're in their homes. You see, th there's a reason why this doesn't sit well with us. And, um, and that is, you know, if you're, if you're God in the flesh, if you're, if you're a good God, then you should pick good people. I mean, you should pick people that are respected, people of integrity. People that other people would say, yeah, they're, they're, they're solid, they're good. If you're a good God, good people should be with you. That makes sense. And actually, that, that was not only the thinking then, that's the thinking today. If you go to most people who have some kind of awareness that there is a supreme being, there's a God, and you say, well, how do you think you get connected with that God? Uh, here, I mean, 95% of the time, the answer is, well, I, I, I think I'm pretty good. I'm, I'm trying to be good. I'm trying to grow and be better. Um, I'm trying to have them be pleased with me. And what we're saying is... Um, we all have this like internal morality code and that we're trying to live up and we're judging ourselves on and, um, and we're judging other people on. Because, well, how do I know if I'm good? Well, because I'm using my code to judge myself, but also I'm looking at other people. But what else is happening in my mind is I'm thinking, okay, but I know the extenuating circumstances when I do stupid things. You know, I know the pressure I was under, or I hadn't slept well, or, you know, God knows the intentions of my heart, and so I think I'm okay with him. And I'm not the best, but I think overall, I think, I think I'm in. And, and that's, that's our thinking. A couple problems with that thinking. One of them is, um, is and I, I've studied this, and I've read about, and I know this is how kind of our default thoughts, but... Um, we can't find an agreed upon morality code. I mean, there is no agreed upon morality code in this world. But we say, I, I think I've been good enough. Well, how do we know if we don't even know what the code is, what the standard is? And we don't know because ultimately we're kind of making it up as we go and it, and it may morph over time. Which leaves us kind of in the dark, because really, um, how do I know where I stand with God? Well, I, you know, I pick out a few people, and I think, yeah, I think I've, I've got them beat. And that can work out for all of us, can't it? 
and we're just kind of making it up as we go. And so when we're talking about our eternity and our standing with God, it's kind of cruel for us to be kind of in the dark going, man, I, I think maybe I'm, yeah, I think I'm trending, I'm trending. You know, but based upon that self-evaluation, who doesn't think they're doing okay? I mean, most people, I mean, there will be some who say, no, I'm going to hell. I know it. I talked to some of you. Uh, but most think, no, I'm, I'm living according to my code. I'm in. I mean, Saddam Hussein thought he was good. Adolf Hitler thought he was good. If we're leaving it up to our own internal scale to decide if we're doing good, then uh, we're just fooling ourselves. We're just fooling ourselves. How do we know? When do we start? I mean, when do I start being evaluated? Is it at birth or, nah, it's gotta be after college. You know, I think <laughs> that's a given. No common standard. Here's the second problem. When you look at the Bible and you say, how are we doing in this standard? You know, I wonder how I'm doing on my standard. This is what God says about how good is good enough. Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fall short of my internal morality code? No. Fall short of the glory of of God. So think about this. What this is saying is good enough is not my life comparison to my neighbors. But good enough is my life comparison to God. And so when the Bible talks about, hey, we're separated. We're separated because... Um, when you think about the righteousness of a, of a holy, perfect God, and then we think, do I deserve to be in his presence? It's like, dang. I mean, there is, there is a gap that's infinitely huge there that I could never hope to bridge by trying harder to think I can justify myself earning the right to be in the presence of a perfect and holy God. That's a problem. That's a problem. So what's, what's our hope? I mean, it's why Jesus could say to Levi, follow me. I want you. Follow me. How could somebody like him, a first century tax man for the Roman Empire, who obviously was the least likely to be good enough according to our own moral scales, why would Jesus call him? Here's the second thought. When Jesus says, follow me, he's asking us to stop pretending and thinking, I'm fine, I'm good, I'm okay. Listen, he, he spells it out here in verse 16. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees, and so Pharisees were the religious leaders, they were, um, and they lived by a moral code, and they thought that they were doing better than everybody else. And so they were the poster children 
for self-righteous moral leaders, okay? They were the ones, hey, I am, I am doing great with God. God likes me because of how I live. And so the Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and the tax gatherers, and they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax gatherers and sinners? Makes total sense according to how they're thinking they get right with God. Verse 17, on hearing this, Jesus said to them, I do not, or it is, it is not the healthy or the self-righteous who think you know, that they are morally good. It is not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous but sinners. See, he's hanging out with these people who are messed up and he's not hanging out with them because they're messed up. He's not like, oh, I'm the party Jesus. I go hang out with partiers. But he goes, I'm gonna hang out with people who are messed up and they know it. Who's that, Jesus? Everyone. Everyone. You see, it's like um, me saying, okay, uh, you know, I, I don't go to the doctor because I'm healthy. And yet inside I may have cancer growing. But I don't go because I think I'm totally great. And so I don't get help. Jesus said, spiritually, I, I'm, I'm, I mean nothing to you. Because you think you're great on your own. And you don't realize how lost from me you are. You know, what's lost? What's sin? Does it mean that I'm not a good person? No, there's a lot of great people. There's a lot of good per people out there and, and doing good things and doing loving things and selfless things. But in comparison to God, we all fall short. And, and I mean, a quick way to think about this, to kind of get our heads right, is, okay, there's the, the standard of God, which is perfection, which I don't even understand completely what that is. But then I can just think about my own standard. In my own standard, I fall short of it. There's things I know in life that I should have done and I just didn't do it, or things I know I shouldn't do, and I just think, oh, forget it, I'm doing it anyway. And I disappoint myself. And so that makes, puts me in a position of knowing, you know, I, I, I'm not righteous, I do not deserve God. And that's a great place to be, because I, I, I know I need a savior. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Hey, I, I'm here for the people who are separated from me, disconnected to me, and they know it. You know, do you recognize where you're at in your journey with God? It doesn't mean I go do a bunch of heinous things, but it means that, you know, I, I've lived my life, a lot of it, doing it according to what I think is best, according to me. I haven't been given God, my maker, really much of a thought regarding how I'm to live and decision I'm to make and, and uh, how, you know, what I'm facing in the day. I'm basically living it as a spiritual atheist because I'm living it apart from God even though I'd recognize God as alive. And that's where he says, follow me. He's not saying, believe me. He's saying, follow me, trust me. And that's what he's going after. So when Jesus came up to that tax booth, 
and he saw Levi sitting there, he said, follow me. What he didn't do is say, are you ashamed of yourself? Seriously, the way you live disgusts me. The way you treat your fellow man disgusts me. You need to clean up your act and then come see me. Doesn't do it. Doesn't do it. He said, you can't clean up your act in and of yourself. And I'm not here to polish up your life. I'm not here to do a little nip here, a little tuck there, and to make your life a little bit better. I'm here to give you a new life. Will you follow me? Will you trust me? This is uh, what he was, you know, here's a thought you might not have thought of before. When you think of Christians, you might think of these, you know, Pharisees. Oh yeah, self-righteous people look down on others. Um, Here's what a real Christian is. A real follower of Jesus realizes the only way they get into the club is to recognize they're unqualified. I don't deserve it. Not making myself good enough. That's impossible. But I recognize in standing in the face of a holy God, I am unworthy. And so I'm in need of a savior. And that's why the cross. That's why the resurrection. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. And God made him, talking about Jesus, who had no sin, got in the flesh, lived a perfect life, to be sins for us. So that means when he was on the cross, God said, I'm making you liable for the sins of the world. I, I, am, I am placing, I'm, I'm taking Bill Town's sins and his ignoring us and his living life selfishly and, and not in, in dependence on us. And I'm taking what he deserves and I'm putting it on Jesus. And now he's liable for my sins. And then it says, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so legally is not only he satisfying his justice by taking our sins and putting them on Jesus and he's paying for them once for all on the cross. But then he says, I'm gonna give you righteousness. How? I'm taking the righteousness of Jesus and I'm taking it off of him and I'm putting it on you. And so now, you're liable for the life of Christ. What does that mean? God the Father, God the Son in perfect harmony together. It means we're offered forgiveness. And he offers to forgive us and to make us right with him. I mean, it, righteousness means that we have been inspected, thoroughly inspected by God and found innocent and acceptable. Wow. Not because I'm so good, but because God's so good. And Jesus paid the price on the cross. And he offers forgiveness for all of us who trust in him. And God will take his righteousness and put it on us. And so when God sees us, he sees his son. And he says, forgiven, holy, innocent, my child. 
that's the significance of Easter. And that Easter morning, people were recognizing, oh my gosh, he's God. He's who he said he was. God with us, our hope. And the movement spread. And decisions have been made. And decisions today, all over this world, are being made to God, I, I hear you. And I'm choosing to place my trust in you and what you've done for me, for me to be forgiven. And today, man, there's, there's thousands, if not millions, across this world whose eyes are being opening, are opening to I, I've been using my own scale. I've been making it up as, my, as I go, and I need to get right with my maker. And so I offer that to you today. In your journey, if you're going, I know God's been after me. I know God's been drawing me close to him. I'm aware of him. I have a sense of him. I, 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 I know I'm on this journey, and today it's clicking for you. Then uh, I want to give you a chance that uh, on this Easter, um, you make a decision to follow him. And so if that's where you're at in your life, I'm going to ask us all just to bow our heads and... Um, and if you're tracking with me today, then you can just talk with God. And that's called prayer, is just having a conversation with God. And if this makes sense to you, then, then pray something like this. God, today, I know that you have been pursuing me. And you've intersected my journey in hopes that I'd recognize my need for you. And I do. I do need you. And I ask you for forgiveness. And I'm placing my trust in what Jesus did for me so that I can be forgiven by you and be in relationship with you. And so I ask you to come into my life and to begin making me the person you want me to be and the person you created me to be. And it's in the name of Jesus, I pray, amen. I'm gonna ask you to keep your um, eyes closed, your heads bowed, um, because I wanna know, uh, if, if you prayed with me this morning, um, in a second I'm gonna ask you to, to raise your hand and I wanna tell you why. Um, first of all, I, I wanna know who you are so I can pray for you. In this week, you need to know that every day, I'm gonna spend some time praying for you. And the second thing is um, I want to be able to talk to you for a second and give you a couple of thoughts that I'm going to encourage you to do. All right, and so um, at this time, everybody's heads bowed, eyes closed. Um, if you prayed with me this morning and you put your trust in Jesus, then would you raise your hand, raise your hand high so I can see it? Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Okay, now I want you to listen to me. Um, I just think you got right with God. And uh, God in heaven uh, is rejoicing. You know, he's not a stick in the mud. But uh, he loves you and he's been pursuing you. And this day is a sweet day for him and for you. Um, and I want you to know that, that, that it's the beginning of a journey. I mean, how do you walk through life with awareness of God when you really haven't been connected to that? 
And so um, as soon as we're done here and, we, and you go out those back middle exit doors, I'm going to ask you to go, go right to that station that's out there in the middle. And they have two things for you that I think are going to be helpful to you. So I'm just going to ask you to have the guts to do it when we're done this morning, we dismiss. And then it's just go up to them and just say, hey, I prayed along with Bill today. And they have two things for you. One is um, it's just a sheet of paper and it just says next steps. And it's, um, hey, here's some verses to just give you confidence and remind you of what you just did. And then here are some ideas that might be helpful to you to, hey, how do you practically build that understanding that I get to walk with God today through life? And so what will help me grow in that? And so there's just a few very practical, simple ideas. If they're helpful, do them. If they're not, don't. But we think they'll be helpful. And then we also have a Bible for you. Love to get a Bible in your hand. You can look up the verses that we're directing you to. And then if you if you come back on Sunday mornings, man, bring your Bible with you. Mark it up as uh, we study it together. But that that's uh, my ask of you. That when we're done, that uh, you'll go right out to that counter and let them know so that they can get that information to you. It's just going to take a minute. And um, people that are with you, they'll wait. It's not going to be a big hassle. And so please do that. Take this decision seriously. Let me pray for you. God, I pray for each person today who um, just decided it is time to start living off of, no longer live off my own self-imposed criteria, but instead recognize that because of your love, uh, you offer me something I can't do on my own. And so, Father, I thank you for each of those persons. Would you protect their hearts and their minds? Would you uh, give them confidence and courage and a peace knowing that you are with them? You will never leave them. You offered forgiveness because of something you did for them. And, and there's nothing they can do to walk away from you. you, you you're with them. So I thank you for that, Father, and just to be an encouragement to them as they begin this new exciting journey with you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.